For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. You don't need to have persuasive speaking skills or total recall of Scripture to make an impact for Christ. But there's one essential ingredient you do need. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at agape love as described in 1 Corinthians 13. From the series, The Power of Love, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Power and Priority of Love. Well, here's uh, what the Bible says about all this. The Bible says love shows up everywhere. Love shows up in the home. It shows up in the church. It shows up in your salvation. It's the priority commandment. It's the perfect gift. It's the preeminent grace. It's the permanent virtue. It's actually the proof of your sonship. It's the prerequisite of faith. It's the path upon which Christians must walk, and it's the prescription for a happy home. That's what love is. And today, on this Friday edition of Turning Point, we're going to talk about the power and priority of love, picking up where we left off uh, yesterday. There's a study guide for this series and a series of uh, CDs that you can get. I'd love for you to do that. I think this will be a very important uh, addition to your library. It'll never grow old. It's a timeless message. It's intergenerational. It's for you, for your kids, for your grandkids. It works all the time. When you really understand love from the biblical perspective, love covers a multitude of sins. Believe me, it really does. So get the study guide, get the CDs, and do your own study. Lead your own group. And when you do that, you will be able to uh, see this truth begin to take over your life. That's my hope. And uh, right now, let's get started with this second part of the power and priority of love. Reason number one for studying love and making it a pursuit in our lives is that love is the priority commandment. Reason number two, love is the perfect gift. Right here in the context that we're studying, verse 31. Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 31, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you, what? A more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way? You're about to learn 1 Corinthians 13 is better than the gifts. Paul has been teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 all about how the gifts and how they fit together and how you're supposed to make sure that you don't get out of balance. And he spent all this time talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And at the end of this discussion, he says, Now having said all of that, I want to tell you something that's more important than all that I've said. Here's the better way. Here's the perfect gift. You master agape and you'll have it. Love is not only the priority commandment and the perfect gift. But number three, love is the preeminent grace. It is everywhere evident to us that it is first in the heart of God. Galatians 5.22, listen to this. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right at the top of the list. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, 
right here in the text. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians 3.14, and above all things, put on love. 1 Peter 4.8, and above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. Love is the preeminent grace. It's as if God were saying to us, if you could have any one quality about your life, if you could choose out of all of the various areas of the fruit of the Spirit or the graces of the Christian experience, if you could have any one of them, let me tell you which one to choose. Choose love, for that is the preeminent grace. That will help you to be what I want you to be, because you see, love is what God is. Love is the embodiment of God himself. Number four, love is an important study, not only because it is the priority commandment and the perfect gift and the preeminent grace. But number four, love is an important study because love is the permanent virtue. Notice verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. And watch what it says. Prophecies, they'll be done away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it shall vanish away. But love, oh, love never fails. It's the permanent virtue. Love is the priority commandment and the perfect gift and the preeminent grace and the permanent virtue. Number five, love is the proof of our sonship. John chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. Reason number six, love is the prerequisite to faith. Faith which worketh by love, Galatians 5, 6. Love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned, 1 Timothy 1, 5. Love is the proof of sonship and love is the prerequisite to faith. And number seven, love is the path upon which Christians must walk, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And reason number eight, love is the prescription for happy homes, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also hath loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.28, even so ought men to love their wives. Why are we going to take time to study 1 Corinthians 13 in depth? Let me remind you again that this whole chapter is an exposition of a concept which, according to the Word of God, is the priority commandment. It is the perfect gift. It is the preeminent grace. It is the permanent virtue. It is the proof of sonship. It is the prerequisite to faith. It is the path upon which Christians must walk, and it is the prescription for a happy home. How better could we spend our time during these days than learning what God means when he talks about agape, love. Now that brings us down to this passage itself. That kind of sets the greater context for 1 Corinthians 13. So out of that greater context now we zero in on this very beautiful passage which is an explanation of love. Let me tell you a few things about 1 Corinthians 13. First of all, it is a precise passage. 
a very precise passage. For instance, only 13 verses. That's why you can all memorize it. It's easy. Just three paragraphs. And yet in this brief passage in 1 Corinthians 13, even those who have studied it from a secular viewpoint, who don't even know the Lord, who don't even know our God, they have said that 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest treatise on love found anywhere in the world of literature. And there is nothing that is even close to it in second place. But not only is 1 Corinthians 13 precise in its description, but it is secondly problematic in its context. Now, oftentimes, 1 Corinthians 13 is interpreted quite apart from the rest of 1 Corinthians. But I want you to see 1 Corinthians 13 and how vitally and strategically located it is in the Word of God. First of all, we already have discovered that Corinth was a place where love was needed. It was desperate for some kind of demonstration of God's kind of love. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7 says they lacked none of the gifts. They were way out in front of all the other churches. They were the greatest church in terms of gift endowment. But though they had all the gifts, they had almost none of the graces. There was no patience among the people in the assembly. They envied each other's gifts continually. They were proud and critical. The people had no modesty or humility. They clamored after their own rights. They rejoiced at sin when they should have judged sin. No wonder Paul had to write this passage. Well, where is 1 Corinthians 13? Chapter 12, the gifts are bestowed. Chapter 14, the gifts are exercised. In the middle of the bestowal of the gifts and the exercise of the gifts, Paul drops 1 Corinthians 13. In between, he teaches that love alone can safeguard the use of our gifts and our abilities. Someone gave me a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 12 and the first part of chapter 13 that helps you to understand what I'm talking about. Now, this is kind of a loose paraphrase. Just as a team is a unit but has many players, and all the players on the team, even though there are many of them, make up one team, so it is with Christ. For by one Spirit we all were selected for this squad, whether Americans or Europeans, Caucasian or Negro, and all have been inspired by the one Spirit. <laughs> for the team does not consist of one player but of many. If the guard should say, because I am not an end, I do not belong on the team, that would not make him any less a member of the team. If the outfielder should say, because I am not a pitcher, I do not belong to the team, he would still be a necessary member of the team. If the whole team were pitchers, who would cover third? If the whole team were halfbacks, who would snap the ball? But as it is, God has arranged the positions on the team according to the rules of the game. If everybody played the same position, where would the team be? So there are many positions, but only one team. The quarterback cannot say to the tackle, who needs you? Nor the forward to the guard, get lost. On the contrary, the positions which may seem to be inconspicuous may really be indispensable. 
And the paraphrase goes on, now you are a team for Christ. Each of you is a team member, and God has assigned different positions to be played. So you are certainly wise to desire the finest skills, but I will show you a more excellent way. Now we're in 13. If I can play many sports well but have not love, I am merely a flashy player. If I know all about athletics and have the skill to become a coach but have not love, I'm just a nobody. If I really give all that I've got to being an outstanding player but have not love, my score is zero. Then what is love? Love is a combination of many attitudes, like patience and kindness, like considering the other person's point of view, like not being glad when somebody drops out, but being glad when he makes good. There are three basic skills for living, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Do you see what the paraphrase has done? It's brought chapter 12 and chapter 13 together with the understanding that if you're going to exercise your gift, you have to have love. Love is the lubricant that makes the gift work smoothly in the body. Now, haven't we understood that in our church experience? There's not anything that is more demonstrable to us. For in our church, we have many gifted people. But whatever problems we have with the gifted people are discernible as we understand whether or not the gift is exercised in love. When love is missing, the gift is meaningless, as we shall see in a few moments. No wonder when Paul was about ready to discern and to teach, chapter 13, he said in chapter 12, verse 31, I show you a more excellent way. And notice what's on the other side of 1 Corinthians 13. I kind of think these are the bookends of the chapter. Chapter 12, verse 31, I show you a more excellent way. Chapter 14, verse 1, follow after love. In between is the 13th chapter. Now, let me give you a simple outline of chapter 13, which will help us as we work our way through these verses. There are just three sections. Almost every expositor, every Bible teacher has noted these sections. I've given them my own names. There are other names you can use, but here are the three categories of 1 Corinthians 13. First of all, verses 1 through 3, the preeminence of love. Secondly, verses 4 through 7, the practice of love. Thirdly, verses 8 through 13, the permanence of love. Now let's just take the first three verses as we wrap all of this introductory study up and look at them very briefly. The preeminence of love. Now, I want you to note several things that I have outlined in the first three verses that hold the verses together. First of all, three times in verses 1 through 3, we have the phrase, but do not have. Let's notice that together. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not, verse 1. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so I can remove mountains, and have not. There it is again. And in the third verse, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, and have not. Those three things are kind of linked together in these three verses. These verses are going to tell us what we will be like if we don't have love in some certain areas of our lives. Then the second thing I want you to note is five times in these three verses, the phrase, though I, is found. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and have not love, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I have all faith, though I bestow all my goods, though I give my body, all of those are introductions to the various things in life which are empty without love. And then the third grammatical thing I want you to note in the study as we kind of do a little inductive work here is that three times in these first three verses there is a statement concerning what it is we have if we don't have love. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Verse 2, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. In essence, what Paul is saying in the first three verses as we deal with the preeminence of love is this. If I don't have love in my life, no matter what gifts I have, I am becoming nothing, I am nothing, and I will profit nothing. I will be worthless in the work of God without agape, the sacrificial love that comes from God himself. And he uses now these illustrations to make his point. Illustration number one, eloquence or words without love are nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding bronze or a tinkling cymbal. The apostle here says that when we speak without love, the words are like the jarring sound of a gong. Words without love are nothing. Have you ever felt them? Secondly, Paul goes on to say that if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have not love, I am nothing. He has already established in verse 5 of chapter 14, or will establish, that prophecy is the greatest gift. Notice what he says. I would that ye all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues. The greatest gift in Paul's estimation was the foretelling of the word prophecy. But here he says that if you have great prophetic ability and you don't have any love, you're worthless. Once again, Koopman has helped us when he wrote these words. If I have detailed foreknowledge of the millennium and can properly identify every beast and horn in the book of Revelation, but have not love, I am nothing. <laughs> he goes on to say, thirdly, that wisdom without love is nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says that knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. Knowledge and wisdom without love. Zero. Do you see how important this is? That's what Paul is doing at the front end of this chapter. He's telling us that this is the indispensable ingredient of our lives. And folks, we better pursue it. We better get after it. We better understand it. We better make it our own because if we don't, whatever else we're about is going to not matter much in the heart of God and in the impact in the world. He goes on to say that faith without love is nothing. 
Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Someone has written, without the love of God nourishing our behavior, we bring the powerlessness of a dead faith to a dying world. Oh, how scathing are those words. Without the love of God nourishing our behavior, we bring the powerlessness of a dead faith to a dying world. And then Paul goes on and says that works without love are nothing. Good works without love are done for our own glory. It's possible to do a lot of good works, to give money. The whole concept of philanthropy out there in the world is in order that they might gain attention for themselves. But benevolence without love is not going to amount to anything at all. And then I think the strongest argument in the whole passage is at the end of the third verse. This is really something, isn't it? Martyrdom without love is nothing. Watch this. And if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Is it possible that anybody would ever do that? History records that they have done it. Even in our generation, we have seen people go on hunger strikes, lock themselves up in a room, refuse to eat in order to gain attention for some cause. And Paul says, if we do all of that and we don't have any love in our hearts, it's worthless. Somebody copied down the following paraphrase from a well-worn carbon in the billfold of a 30-year missionary. With her husband, this missionary was on her way to another tour of duty in Khartoum, Sudan. No one seems to know who authored it, but whoever it was captured the essence of the greatest essay on love ever written especially as it relates to those who are missionaries. If I have the language ever so perfectly and I speak like a pundit and have not the love that grips the heart, I am nothing. If I have decorations and diplomas and am proficient in up-to-date methods and have not the touch of understanding love, I am nothing. If I am able to worst my opponents in argument so as to make fools of them and have not the wooing note, I am nothing. If I have all faith and great ideals and magnificent plans and wonderful visions and have not love that sweats and bleeds and weeps and prays and pleads, I am nothing. If I surrender all prospects and leaving home and friends and comforts give myself to the showing sacrifice of a missionary career and turn sour and selfish amid daily annoyances and personal slights of a missionary life. And though I give my body to be consumed in the heat and sweat and mildew of India and have not the love that yields its rights, its coveted leisure, its net plans, I am nothing. Nothing. Virtue has ceased to go out of me. If I can heal all manner of sickness and disease, but wound hearts and hurt feelings for want of love that is kind, I am nothing. If I write books and publish articles that set the world agape and fail to transcribe the word of the cross in the language of love, I am nothing. Worse, I may be competent, busy, fussy, punctilious, and well-equipped but like the church of Laodicea, I am nauseating to Christ. 
End of quote. It is possible, according to 1 Corinthians 13, to be even at the top level of Christian service, respected, looked to, admired by all who know you, and not have that indispensable ingredient by which God has chosen to work in his world today, the absolutely sacrificial agape love of the eternal God. As we head into the weekend, let me remind you that we have a brand new resource for the month of September. It's our annual uh, production of the calendar. This one for 2024, but it's a 14-month calendar that begins in, the, in November and December of this year. So you get it early enough to start planning for the holidays. You can have it through the holiday season and have it all filled in for your Appointments in the new year, the Bible reading schedules there. This year, uh, the calendar has a theme called the Unchanging Promises of God. It includes special holiday planner for November, December, notation of special holidays, a Bible reading plan for the new year, a specific theme for each month and correlating scripture. And it's yours for a gift of any amount during the month of September. Ask for this resource, and we'll send it to you right away. It's the calendar for the new year. My friends, it's beautiful. You need to have this. I hope you ask for it when you send your gift today. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024, focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen anytime you like on our Turning Point Plus streaming service. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The news media have been reporting stories of police, firefighters, even average citizens breaking the windows of cars to rescue children and pets left alone on sizzling hot days. Yes, damage is done, but lives are saved as a result. 
Rescues are dramatic, sometimes even violent. But when life is on the line, the drama is justified. Colossians 1.13 says that Jesus Christ rescues sinners from the clutches of Satan and delivers them out of darkness into light, saving those who would otherwise have perished for all eternity. If you feel abandoned and alone in this world, allow Jesus to rescue you today. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God rescues us on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.